You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome into a very special episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, and we got breaking news coming in this morning as the Big Ten will return to college football this upcoming season after multiple negotiations with the schools. They have decided to actually play an upcoming season. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar, where a protein bar meets a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to save $10 off your next purchase. That promo code is LOCKEDON for $10 off your next purchase at BuiltBar.com. As always, before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this show a more quality-sounding podcast five days a week. We are on five days a week. Every single weekday is a Locked on Aggies podcast day. Give me some information on what you want to hear. Let me know in the comments section of what you think is great. And secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th Man-related content found here on LOP. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. And if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. So a lot of people have been wondering, what's going on with the Big Ten? I mean, this is a conference that came out earlier this week saying, you know what? We're not going to play. They were the very first conference to come out back in late August saying, we will not have an upcoming season. We will postpone the year until the spring semester. And then you started seeing a petition go around. It really started with Nebraska and Iowa, the two schools who represented kind of the Midwest region, wanted to play. They said, we will play this season. We will try to find ways to get around it. We want to play in 2020. Then you started seeing players kind of come out, and Justin Fields was the big highlight name, saying he was going to play, and he wanted to have the Big Ten back. So after what seemed to be one of the most controversial months in league history, the Big Ten football is back. The conference presidents and chancellors met on Wednesday and voted to start their season on October 24th after considering the new medical information and testing possibilities presented to them this past weekend during the likes of COVID-19. So here's what we do know about the Big Ten going into this year. Now, what this is the most important factor in voting for the Big Ten, the medical information and the resources surrounding COVID-19 improved significantly, especially in the availability of rapid testing programs. Basically, what they were trying to worry about is how would we react in the upcoming season, we could not get our test results in, only spreading the virus more inside our facilities. Basically, long story short, say a player got COVID-19, And then he started spreading it around because even though he went in for testing, the tests weren't coming back for 72 hours. So you didn't really know how to quarantine. They're now saying that it's a bigger chance of them getting higher results in a quicker amount of time after several outbreaks this offseason. Many wondered how schools such as Rutgers, Northwestern, Maryland would either get around their state restrictions to practice in pads and eventually play. As we know, Illinois, New Jersey, and Maryland are all in non-contact pads throughout the state at every single level besides the NFL. So that was a big deal. The emergence of several reliable rapid testing options eased concerns about the contact tracing and increased confidence about having minimal interruptions during the regular season, which can't afford too many bumps since the Big Ten wants to be a part of the college football playoff. So long story short, they're trying to say, we're going to have a season because if we want to be represented in the college football playoff ranks, but if a player gets sick and we have to worry about COVID-19, is this going to prevent us from playing all year? 
According to what they've heard and what we've heard, basically it's saying we will get the results to you as quickly as possible. Could be a couple of hours at most so that way you can prepare, you can adjust, and you can find a way to make sure every other player is tested so you can get on the ball rolling. Consistent testing is going to be a big thing at every single school, and it's definitely going to be one in the Big Ten specifically. What happens in the meetings and how was the vote decided? Basically, the way the vote was decided was the return of play was decided between all 14 presidents and chancellors on Sunday. This meeting began in a three-part presentation to each Big Ten's return of competition task force subcommittees was again focused on the updated medical information. The medical subcommittee presented at least four new rapid testing options and how the developments will ease some of the challenges in round contact tracing. Presidents and chancellors also heard the potential of a uh, college football schedule and how to work with the Big Ten television agreements. The start date was supposed to be on October 17th, but then it was later decided to go to the weekend of October 24th. Biggest question of all, are there teams that are going to opt out for the 2020 season? No. As of what we've heard, all 14 Big Ten teams will attempt to play. The developments around rapid testing have become easier in concerned areas with more restrictions around contact and gatherings. Wisconsin last week announced a two-week pause on all football activities, but break is set to end this week, and athletic director Barry Alvarez and head coach Paul Chris think the team only needs three additional weeks to be ready for competition. Maryland, which passed uh, pause activities on September 3rd, resumed football practice last week. Could the Big Ten be ready in time for the college football playoff? This is a tricky one because if you already see teams starting up, last week the ACC kind of kicked off their season and the Big 12 kicked off their season. What's left is the SEC, which is going to start on September 26th, and now you have October 24th being the regular start date for the Big Ten. With the late October start date, the Big Ten can finish its season and still have a conference champion in time for a semifinal spot, but it has to be approved by the College Football Playoff Management Committee. All 10 of the FBS commissioners and Notre Dame's athletic director, Jack Swarbach, would have to determine whether the Big Ten could rejoin the college football playoff. ACC Commissioner John Swarford, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, and Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesley would carry the most weight in the room as they have navigated their leagues through longer schedules. Long story short, what this basically means is you have a 10-game schedule in the SEC. You have a 10-game schedule in the Big 12, and you have a 12-game schedule in the ACC. You're having football back in the norm on all of these other conferences. And an eight-game schedule may not benefit a team like Ohio State, who even though is likely going to have a chance to go a perfect 8-0, they're missing four important games on the schedule. And that's none of their doing, and that's none of really any team's doing. That's what the Big Ten and Commissioner Kevin Warren decided. Final question that a lot of people are wondering, what does this mean for the Pac-12? Now, the Pac-12 is still deciding if they're going to have a schedule, but right now it's not looking too promising when you look at all these teams, mainly because of local regulations in California, which has four teams, and Oregon has two teams, are likely going to try to opt out. Half of the conference is still not being cleared by public health officials to resume contact practices, let alone games. The league presidents and the chancellors wouldn't consider a vote to return until that status changes. Basically, until you get a wording from California and Oregon and Washington, which features eight teams of the Pac-12, you're likely not going to see a season. And even if they were to have a season come up, they say a mid-November start was likely the earliest chance the Pac-12 could get back on the field. That automatically takes them out of the college football playoff conversation. They could continue to play. They continue to have a season. They could continue to have a Pac-12 year with maybe two teams representing them in the you know at-large bids when it comes to New Year's Six Bowls. You have teams like Washington that are supposed to be good. You have teams like USC that are looking to bounce back. 
You have a team in Arizona State that has all the potential to be very promising. You have a team in Oregon that is likely going to contend for a college football playoff spot if this was the regular season. Instead, the new testings will be on every campus by the end of the month, and the league still expects to need time to strain off how to use and ensure the proper testing protocols in place. Ideally, the Pac-12 would like its teams to have six weeks to practice and physically prepare for the season, according to one source by ESPN. They're out. Long story short, they're out. But the Big Ten is back in, and this is going to affect a lot more than just the SEC. The SEC was likely going to be the heavyweight contenders, if not Notre Dame, who's making their first appearance in the ACC, to have two representatives in the college football playoff in 2020 because of the way the teams are built. You have two teams in the SEC, in Florida and Georgia, both have a chance to go 10-0. You have, I think, three teams really in the SEC West that have a chance to go 10-0 in Alabama, Auburn, and Texas A&M. They all have an opportunity to make the most of their impact, and with those 10 games, those would likely benefit them more than an eight-game schedule or even a four- or five-game schedule in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, respectively. Overall, this is a knock on the SEC because of even though they're starting late, because of the ACC and the Big 12 have already started, they still have the most protocol to go through. They've been planning this for a very long time. They've been doing a great job with testing. Greg Sankey, you got to give him a lot of credit what he's been able to do to make sure the facilities are intact and what is going to be built for the future of the SEC in 2020. There's a lot to like about what Sankey did. Unfortunately, now with this giant break, all it really means is Ohio State is going to be back in the consideration. Michigan's going to be out. Michigan State's going to be out. Minnesota's not going to be as great of a team. And I wonder what would happen when you look at these teams kind of coming back with players deciding who have opted out. There was a lot of names in the Big Ten who opted out, and some of them even have decided to already declare for the NFL draft in 2021. Will this affect their decision officially, unlike a guy like Jamar Chase, who has officially declared for the NFL draft, or Jamon Osmond from A&M, who's officially said, I will opt out this year and prep for the upcoming draft in April. Guys, this episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar. Now, I know you've heard of Built Bar in the past, but here's the thing. They've rebranded themselves, and not only will you have their 12 original flavors that included German chocolate cake, peanut butter, banana nut bread, and mint brownie, you also have six new flavors including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, and even carrot cake. Here's the biggest thing. As someone who's on the keto diet, I love to have a snack throughout the day. This is a great snack that helps me maintain my weight while indulging in a delicious treat because the bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. They're all low calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. My new favorite flavor right now is the cookies and cream, and I cannot tell you how delicious it is, plus the nutrition on it. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugars, 4 grams of net, bar- net carbs. You're not going to find a deal like this anywhere else on the market. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On to save $10 off your next order. That promo code is Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. So for whatever you want, even for those tasty snacks during the middle of the day, Built Bar is definitely the bar that tastes more like a candy bar than anything else. Why wait when you can have a nutritious treat every single day? Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts on your favorite sports team every single day? If so, why not listen to a Locked On Podcast? The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows plus every team covered in the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and highlight information to get you geared up throughout the season in fantasy football. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com.
So, unfortunately, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the SEC today instead of just A&M and how this could affect the schedule. More importantly, how this could affect A&M's chances at the college football playoff. LSU head coach Ed Orgeron made a suggestive headline this week when he was talking about LSU in their offseason. Of course, everyone knows the story about LSU and their COVID-19 problems. They had over 75 players test positive, and now... He came out and made a statement talking about what he believes this could be. And it was, he said that most of his LSU players caught the virus this offseason. To be clear, he didn't specify the number of cases, though a lot of people have said it's around 75, and he didn't specify where they contacted the virus. So many of the cases could have occurred away from Baton Rouge or even outside the state as players were at home for a little while before returning back to campus. So here was the actual quote said by Orgeron about his team challenging the faces against uh, testing with COVID-19. Yes, yes, and that's why I told the team we need everybody, Orgeron said on Tuesday. There's no telling what's going to happen with COVID. I think that we've got a good handle on it, but once a kid gets it, the next man's got to go up. Mickey comes to me and Jack comes tells me, this person tested positive, this person's going to be in quarantine. They gave me the number of days to make the adjustment. Look, two weeks ago, we had everybody on our offensive line except two or three guys out. We couldn't do any team drills. We adjusted very well, and we got to make adjustments, and I think most of our, if not all of our players, um, but most of our players have caught it. Hopefully, they don't catch it again and are out for games. When asked a follow-up question regarding how many LSU players have caught the virus, Orgeron did not provide the actual number, but did share the program's different plans in place for players to have the virus and for players who have not tested positive. I'm not going to say all of our players. Some players have caught it. I don't know what the percentage is, but hopefully once you catch it, you don't catch it again. I'm not a doctor. I think that we have that 90-day window, so most players have caught it. We feel eligible for games. We look at the players who have caught it and say, okay, this guy should be eligible for the game. We look at the players who haven't caught it. We talk about it being very, very careful so they are eligible for games. But we know the players that haven't caught it we still have some backups in their position ready if they do catch it. Yeah, Ed, what are you doing, man? Come on. You're two weeks away from the SEC kicking off their schedule, and you make comments like that about, oh, you know what? Most of our team has caught it. Whatever. Not a big deal. It kind of is a big deal. Because of what it can do is if you go back into testing and you see more players who have caught it or are just were asymptomatic, it then pushes back the SEC date. You're not going to start the SEC season without the defending national champions at the helm. Not only that, again, every team is given one extra week to make up the schedule. But what if you go and test everyone and you start seeing six players at A&M have it, 10 players at Tennessee have it, two players at Mizzou have it, 19 players at LSU have it, and 22 players at Alabama have it? Well, then you got to postpone the season at least another week. When you postpone the season another week, that starts the year off on October 3rd, which would be A&M's matchup against Alabama, and they would then have to make up that game against Vanderbilt way deeper into the season, closer towards that SEC showdown on December 12th. So that December 5th weekend now is detrimental to A&M, who could be sitting at 8-1 or could be sitting at 9-0, going into that week, needing that win against the Commodores to close out the year on a positive note. Overall, I just look at this, and it was a very harsh thing to say, and uh, LSU Athletic Director Scott Woodward came out and made his own comments on it. The beauty of Coach O is that he's transparent and honest to the fault. It's a great thing, Woodward said on a Zoom call, according to Baton Rouge TV reporter Harrison Golden. Coach O was a bit too transparent, Woodward reiterated per Golden. I think the vast majority of them have happened socially, according to USA Today's Glenn Goodward of, of what Woodward said. I don't think... 
they received it at practice or in our weight room. I think the protocols are good. I think it's just with that demographic, it happened in the fast way and a spike for most of the part happened socially. That's probably the vast majority of them. We won't sit, have them 24 seven. It, it, again, it's just, it's one of those things where the season's about ready to approach and you're talking about, Oh, you know what? Players had it. And you know, we never really reported it. Well, that gives a lot of concern to the CDA, and that gives a lot of concern to health officials about starting the year off right. It's not that Orgeron isn't right by saying, yeah, my players are all set. They're really good to go. We're built to win. And more importantly, you know, everyone's caught it. So hopefully, because of everything that's going on with testing, they won't catch it again. The problem is, you can't say that because now what you're likely going to do is you're going to have everyone go through testing again, make sure they don't have it. And if there is a spike... You're going to have to look at the spike in each town that they live in. And if there's players from other cities that were there, say there was a kid from Lake Charles who got it at LSU, and there's a kid from Lake Charles who plays for Tennessee, you're going to test that kid as well. And if he tests positive, you're going to have to test the entire team of the volunteers. It's just a problem I look at when you say things like that that cause concern for the upcoming season. And now with the Big Ten back in the picture, this is what I was really talking about in the very first segment. With the Big Ten back in the picture, every week for AM and every week for any SEC team in general, if they lose a week, it's a big loss. Not because of they can't get back on the field and then you'll finish the year off 9-1 or 10-0, but say they just canceled the game completely. Now it's a nine-game schedule. Are you going to say a nine-game schedule and an eight-game schedule between the SEC and the Big Ten is not that close, especially if Ohio State and Justin Fields are blowing opponents out of the water? No. That just gives more ammunition to the Big Ten who decided to cancel their season and then got the heat from the fans and got the heat from the players and got the heat from the coaching staffs that they said, all right, we're going to play. All it does instead is now cause controversy when you look at these SEC teams. Any loss game this year that could potentially happen, which I don't see happening just yet, but you never really know. If there is a cancellation of a game, whatever game it is, Alabama versus A&M, Florida versus Georgia, LSU versus Mississippi State, doesn't matter. It's a nine-game schedule, and the Big Ten has an eight-game schedule. And if Ohio State is 8-0 and they're defeating their opponents, skyrocketing numbers on offense and depleting offenses of opposing teams on the defensive side of the ball, even without the likes of guys like Sean Wade in the mix in the nickel corner spot, they're likely going to be considered a contender. So that then not only knocks out at least one team from the SEC, but if an SEC team finishes 7-3 and on the year, that knocks out both. And the SEC is not represented. You'll have two representatives from the ACC or you'll have two representatives from the Big 12. That's just likely the case. So unfortunately, this is the thing that A&M should be on the watch out for because if testing starts picking up immensely in Baton Rouge, it's likely coming to Auburn, it's likely coming to Tuscaloosa, it's going to Starkville, it's going to Oxford, it's definitely going to Gainesville because it's Florida, let's all know that. It'll end up in Athens and finally it'll close out its days in College Station. Coming up next, we are talking about our 25 Aggies to watch for in 25 days before the Aggies take the field against the Vanderbilt Commodores. Who comes in at unlucky number 13? I can tell you this much. It's going to be very unlucky to meet him on the gridiron this upcoming season. He's playing with passion. More importantly, he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. Who is it? Doug Whatever will be explaining who in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked On Aggies. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and listen live every single day on LockedOnPodcast.com. 
25 Aggies in 25 days. We're chugging right along as the Aggies are just a few weeks away from gearing up against Vanderbilt at Kyle Field to face the Commodores at the start of the 2020 SEC football season. That game will be featured at SEC Network Alternative Channel and kickoff is set for 6.30. Now again, these are just my picks of guys I'm looking forward to potentially see and how big of an impact they will have for the 2020 season. Number 25 was Haynes King because of he has the chance to possibly be the future if Kellen Mond struggles or is injured. Number 24 was Devon Shane. He's going to be the third running back, but he's going to be important to that team, especially without the loss of Jamon Osmond. Number 23 and number 22 were Brian Cole and Devin Morris at the cornerback position. Cole is likely going to be playing on the outside in placement of Elijah Blades, while Morris is going to command the nickel position. Coming in at number 21 was going to be originally Bailey cup but unfortunately he's out so I switched it to Caleb Chapman another big time receiver you're gonna need a big year from him number 20 was Dylan Wright six foot four wide receiver prototypical outside split end type guy even though he's learning the position this is a chance for him as a four-star to be breaking barriers and make a name for himself coming in number 19 was Danelle Harris the freshman uh, from Florida at the defensive end position Defensive ends are always rotational. You saw what DeMarvin Leal did last year. You want to see it from a guy like Harris. I expect him to be a big-time deal. Number 18 was Ryan McCollum, who's likely going to be taking over for Colton Prater in the center position. Number 17 and number 16 both were Jared Hawker and Kenyon Green. I think either one of them you can place at either spot. The way the running game is going to be so detrimental to the team this year, I think that they have to be in for a big-time year, especially Green, who is that kind of blue-chip collar piece to that offensive line. Coming in at number 15 was Jalen Jones. He's going to have a chance to make a big impact as a six-foot-one cornerback on the outside in Mike Elko's system. And number 14 was Anaya Smith. Switching positions is always a big deal, but what he's going to do at that running back role, especially with Osmond out, because of his pass catching skills last year at the wide receiver spot, it makes him even a bigger deal. 13 is an unlucky number, and it's going to be very unlucky for teams to be facing off against this guy. It's Leon O'Neal Jr. This has been a very weird offseason for O'Neal Jr. A lot of people said he was going to transfer. He made a post on social media saying he was leaving, saying goodbye. He somehow elected to stay, and now he's been making strides in practice. This is a guy who I think when you see on paper... He's solid in coverage, he's good against the run, he's a willing tackler, and he's going to make people really fear him in 2020 because of his well-roundedness. Last season, he had 41 tackles, 3 tackles for losses, an interception, 4 passes deflections in 13 games. He played in 10 of them as a starter. You know, last year was a rough year for O'Neal, and if you really listen to what Jimbo Fisher said about everything going on in his life... It made sense of why he was stepping away from football. Maybe he was going to leave the program. Maybe he was going to go somewhere else. Or maybe he just wasn't going to play again. And it would be a big loss for AM, who was probably their most multi-tool defensive back last year. He played well against the run. He was very strong in coverage at that strong safety spot. And you can kind of move him around a little bit. Mike Elko likes to run a lot of dime formations. And there's going to be opportunities for him to do that, especially with Keldrick Carper and Leon O'Neal both in the mix. So I think that having him back in the fold as a demonstrative tackler, as someone who can step up big, uh, and more importantly, has figured things out in his life. You know, biggest thing that he said, uh, that Fisher said was about social media can be a great thing and it can also be a bad thing. It's not just Leon O'Neal, but everybody does it. They put their feelings out there and that's how they feel at the time. It's not communicative of who they are or what they are. They're just feeling it at the moment. Social media is a very dangerous tool if used in the wrong hands, and it's also a very good tool to let people know what you're feeling. 
So for Fisher to go out of his way to make sure he understood what O'Neal was going through to get him better prepared for the upcoming season, it keeps AM in the fold, especially on that defensive secondary. And this is a player that you cannot miss. Overall, I think he's the most talented defensive back with the most experience. Now that does not mean that Jalen Jones is worse than him. It just means Jalen Jones is inexperienced. Same thing with Joshua Moten. I think Joshua Moten is going to be a great cornerback at some point in his A&M career. But right now, you look at O'Neal, he's got the most intangibles. He's got everything you want in a guy for coverage. He's willing and able to lean down his body and make a big tackle. He's willing to come up in the middle of the open field and make a big time play. He's everything that you could see at that safety position that's turning more into a hybrid linebacker, if you really think about it. You got to be as fast as a cornerback. You got to be able to tackle like a linebacker. O'Neal's done a little bit of both. He's not a big stack guy, but his stats are important. That's what I mean when I say you can lead a team in tackles with 156, you know, 156 stops, but if you're right there in the right place at the right time, it's just you're right there in the right place at the right time. O'Neal's 41 tackles might be more important than Buddy Johnson's 80 tackles because if he was making plays in the open field. To have a player like that back in your defense is a big-time deal for Texas A&M. That's good for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Locked on Aggies and at Mr. Cole Thompson. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Tomorrow, we'll have Miles Underwood from Pro Football Network coming in to talk about Ryan Tannehill. His Monday night performance was good, not great, but what can we expect from him in the future? We'll see you then, and remember, kick him, y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.